Hi, and welcome to NACIO Voices, where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasscock in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Alex Whitaker in Washington, D.C. Today, we're talking with Pokey Harris, Executive Director of the North Carolina 911 Board, about their NACIO award-winning project on Next Generation 911. We'll find out what prompted the project, how they did it, and hopefully get some insight for other states that are interested in a Next Gen 911 of their own. Pokey, welcome to NACIO Voices, and thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you all so much for having me. I'm always excited when I can talk about what we're doing here in North Carolina. Yeah, we're excited to hear about it. So before we get into the project, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you ended up in your current role as the executive director of the North Carolina 911 board. Oh, some days I want to say it's been a long career path to get here. And then other days I look back and it's all been in warp speed. But my entire career, I've been involved with public safety, emergency management, EMS, fire, and of course, 911 uh, public safety communications. So my career path has led me here. Interestingly, my husband and I came to North Carolina to begin to retire a bit. And I was so blessed and fortunate with the opportunity to work for the 911 board. Long story short, the gentleman who had served as as the only director here for many years and a gentleman that I had had looked up to as one of my mentors through the years, he announced his retirement. And uh, I was very, very fortunate uh, to apply for the position and be selected. Great. I'm sure you'll get a chance to retire eventually, but you're doing great work as evidenced <laughs> by uh, this award that NASIO presented to you all last year for your Next Generation 911 project. It's a really fascinating project, and we've got you know more than a few questions for you about it. We'd love to know what circumstances led to the project and why traditional 911 just kind of wasn't cutting it anymore. And then also combined with that, why you all decided to move forward with the initiative. And you know, if you can, in your explanation, also just really tell us exactly what Next Gen 911 is. Okay, that Alex, that is a loaded question. It's a lot. <laughs> that, that, that's better than the best loaded baked potato I've seen. But <laughs> let me let me tell you everything. So with next generation 911, it's a concept or an initiative looking at how we can better prepare our networks and our infrastructure for the delivery of 911 call services for our citizens. If you all recall, the first 911 call was placed in 1968, and the network and the infrastructure that has carried 911 calls since that day is still in place in most states across the country. And the inception of Next Generation 911 began way back in in the late 1990s, early 2000s, looking at this antiquated infrastructure for 911 call delivery, basically looking at how our telephone calls are delivered across copper wires, and I'm doing air quotes here, and the infrastructure associated with call delivery, and how the 911 industry was surpassing what could be accomplished sending calls across those copper wires. Because if you think now, compared to just 10 years ago, what we're looking at with our call services and delivery of calls what we're looking at as far as just the call, not just the call, but the data that can go with it, the things like video and text. You know, if we took inventory right now, I'm sure every one of us has a smartwatch on. Every one of us knows someone who wears the lanyard for that quick call to to 911 if something happens. So that copper wire network was not 
prepared or could not carry that digital data that we're looking for. So next generation 911 is a systems of systems, if you will, or a network of networks so that we can begin to process video and data across that network. It's not one thing, particularly when you think about next gen, because there's call service delivery, there's computer-aided dispatch, there's mapping. And even as you begin to look at your IP or internet protocol, if you will, radio systems. So collectively, next generation 911 is, is a group of, of concepts that look at phone delivery, data delivery, and voice delivery. Wow. So lots of moving pieces that, yes. that sound like it's pretty complicated, but, uh, you know, certainly worth the investment. So, you know, when, when you, you've mentioned moving beyond the copper wires, and I think that's really fascinating. So I, I'd love to just kind of learn a little bit of sort of, you know, what, what is after the copper wires? Kind of how does NextGen 911 work? And then how did you all actually implement it in the state? So North Carolina is a bit different from a lot of states in that we took a statewide approach to this. Now, I wish I could say that this was my thoughts or my brainstorming or, or the concept that I introduced for North Carolina. But the general, you know, I mentioned the gentleman that, that I had the fortune to become the director after he retired. He was the one who introduced this early on for North Carolina, um, having been very involved in the 911 industry himself. So North Carolina basically became the leader or the innovator because he had the insight and the vision to bring this forward to the North Carolina 911 board. What I will say for a statewide project like we have here in North Carolina, it requires a lot. It requires a governance structure. We have a North Carolina 911 board just for that. It requires legislation that helps you implement we were fortunate enough to get legislation implemented to do so. And then also it does involve a cost. Here in North Carolina, our 911 service charge per legislation, we have money that is earmarked for the next generation 911 initiative. So when we look at what North Carolina is doing, we are doing a statewide effort. Uh, there are a couple other states that are doing similar, but for the most part, as you look at what other states are doing, they may have just counties, localities that have what they consider uh, a next-gen solution, which is an IP network. They may have groups of counties or jurisdictions in like a COG environment or a district environment or some type of regional effort. Or you may have parts of a state, literally the northern part of the southern part of a state that has um, a grouping of some sort and a governance of some sort that they are implementing next generation 911. Here in North Carolina, as I said, a statewide effort. And what that means for us is we have a statewide ESINET. And that's E-S-I-N-E-T, uppercase E, uppercase S, mm -hmm. uppercase I, and then lowercase N-E-T, ESINET. And that's an emergency services internet protocol network. So basically that's an IP network. And for us, for 911 calls, that's a closed private network that only 911 calls will traverse. Now 911 calls and then any associated data that we're going to send across that network. Here in North Carolina, we have 127 911 centers that are funded by the North Carolina 911 Board. By legislation, all of those PSAPs or public safety answering points will have to migrate to or connect to the statewide ESINET. 
So we're we're in the process of doing that. We have three remaining. We've had a couple of issues that have been outside the, the purview of the board, as well as our contracted vendor for the delivery of the core services for the EZNet. So I think we've made great strides in that. We've also added about 16 other partners, if you will, that to some degree are part of the 911 call processing, whether it's uh, some universities, military installation, or our state highway patrol. So we have other partners who are part of the statewide EZNet. The state per se cannot own a telecommunications network. So the 911 board partnered with AT&T for use of or utilization of their their nationwide EZNet. So by that, that managed service contract, we've partnered with them that they have built out, if you will, that IP network that all of the 911 centers will connect to. And if you stop and think about that, not only does that give us all the connectivity between all of the 911 centers in the state, but ultimately any other state or any other county or any other jurisdiction who has connectivity to AT&T's nationwide EZNet, we can pass calls between all of those as well. So here in North Carolina, that was the approach that we took. It has been a huge undertaking. We will celebrate, actually in two months, we'll celebrate our first 911 center migrated in 2018. Now, we've had several months of COVID in the middle of that, that Mm -hmm. slowed our project just a little bit. But I think for uh, all intent and purposes, what we've accomplished in the last four years uh, shows just a wonderful project coming to fruition to serve the citizens of North Carolina. So from a citizen perspective, I'm wondering how does this look different to a citizen? Like if I'm on vacation in North Carolina and I need to call 911, you know, I know I can call 911 from my cell phone. You know, is there anything else citizens need to know? And did you guys have to do any public education around this for citizens on how their contacting 911 might look different or were they already kind of trying to do all of these things? From a citizen perspective, they're not going to see anything different. Okay. And they're really not going to realize anything different, but from a call processing standpoint on what we would say the the back end of this for the the 911 center and for the call actually uh, traversing the network, it will be much quicker. The, and then the information will deliver to the most accurate 911 center or PSAP for that call. And the accuracy is much more improved. It's based on the location of the caller. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have to, the system is very intelligent in that it knows where that, that caller is calling from based on all of the information that's gathered from all the PSAPs in the state, the mapping associated with that, we can pinpoint exactly the closest 911 center to answer that call to deliver service for that citizen, or I guess I, guess I should say response service for that citizen. Got it. Do you guys have uh, text to 911 as part of it? Yes, we sure do. Okay. So I guess that could be something that people aren't used to. I know, you know, I always think of like, calling 911 and to be able to get there a different way. I guess that's really important for like domestic violence situations too, to be able to text, right? It certainly is. And even before we began our 
project or our path forward for NextGen 911, we had legislation in place that did require the 911 centers to receive text from 911. Again, okay. that was coming across that antiquated copper wires. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were different ways that that would have to be delivered, even just um, a web solution for that. But now those text calls will traverse the ESINET. And like you said, it's very important that folks who are in a situation that they can't call or they can't talk, that they text. Now, we always tell everyone, please call first if you can. But yes, for domestic violence situations, and particularly for our deaf and hard of hearing community, text to 911 is is so much more improved to the ways that we handled those calls on previous TDD systems. So we've seen a great improvement for that community. Yeah, that's a really good point. So what about funding? I know that finding money for new projects is always an issue for governments and state governments in particular. So I'm sure that the other state technology leaders listening to this might be wondering where your funding came from. So how did you guys fund the project? North Carolina has been very fortunate that, again, going back to the governance structure, we do have a 911 board that is set in legislation. The membership is set in legislation. Also, this legislation does set the 911 service charge uh, that is allowed to be collected, the maximum allowed to be collected on those communications devices. And then that money is uh, remitted to the 911 board through legislation and a determination of how that money is disseminated back to the 911 community. There's also legislation that allowed for a set aside, if you will, of a percentage of those 911 service charges to be used for implementing next generation 911 here in the state. So the, those monies were being collected uh, prior to even the contract being signed uh, with our managed service vendor, who is AT&T. So we've been collecting those fees to go ahead and fund that initiative. Some states are not that fortunate. Many of my colleagues and Secretary Weaver's co- colleagues that may be listening to this podcast, they'll know that there is a really big initiative right now for funding uh, from a federal standpoint to set aside monies uh, for next generation 911 and the build out of that. Uh, North Carolina is just fortunate that we were ahead of the curve and we're already planning to do that. There are several states that they do not have funding reserved for this. In many localities, this is just not something that they can afford to do. So here in North Carolina, it is by legislation, our 911 service charge does speak um, specifically to next generation 911. Got it. So you all are pretty far along in your journey so far to implement the new 911 system. And I'm wondering if you can share any sort of data or lessons learned for to illustrate that um, how it's worked so far. So I think from a data standpoint, we we are able to validate that uh, how quickly a 911 call is processed across the network. Generally, about 0.5, 0.3 seconds after a caller removes their phone from that last one, it's ringing at the appropriate 911 center. Prior to that, it took a few seconds for that call to traverse that copper network 
gather all the information out of the various databases, uh, what we call dipping for that information, assimilate that uh, back together on the network, and then present it to the appropriate 911 center. So we're looking at seconds of time saved there. Uh, so that's probably the best data or statistical that, that I can provide. Um, as far as lessons learned for anyone that would be listening, I certainly would encourage states to look at their legislation that speaks to next generation 911. We're all coming from that legacy 911 world where the majority of our general statutes speak to E911 and next generation 911 had not been thought about at that point in time. So certainly looking at your legislation, outreach to the 911 community being the 911 centers, the local governments for them. Uh, that was very, very important for us. There are many components and aspects to Next Generation 911, including the mapping and the GIS component. That's very, very critical. So you have to engage not just the, the 911 center, the PSAP manager, county manager, but you have to look at your GIS departments, GIS managers, because the GIS data is it, so critical to that. Also, the, the selection of a vendor is very, very crucial. You want to find a good, uh, sound partner for 911 delivery, next-gen uh, service delivery, uh, someone that's proven, a vendor that's proven, a vendor that's been there can do that. So we, we have an excellent partner with AT&T. So that would probably be some of the things that just come to mind about the lessons learned and, and realize that there is a possibility that the best laid plans, there's going to be something that can bring about delay or, or something to set you back. COVID-19 did that to our project. We were able to work through it, but it delayed us a bit. Yeah. Absolutely. I know that'll be really useful for folks listening who haven't started on this yet. It's always good to hear from other states about things that they should keep in mind. So final question, you won this award in October of 2021, and here we are at the very end of July of 2022. So how's the program going today? Have there been any changes since last fall, or do you have any changes planned for 2023? Well, as we look at comparison to where we were this time last year, and I know that uh, we were just ramping up to, and we were so excited about the announcement about the award, uh, so pleased for that to be such an accomplishment for our state. We were getting excited coming uh, to Washington to accept the award. But now, as I, I noted earlier, the 127 PSAPs that were required to migrate to the EZNet, we have 124 that are there. The three that are remaining fall outside of the purview of the 911 board or its staff or even AT&T for us to be frustrated at ourselves because it didn't come to fruition. So, uh, so we're waiting for those last three. We anticipate by end of calendar year, we will have those folks migrated. So our migration efforts will be completed. So what does that mean for us? Are we through with next gen? Certainly not. We, we've been joking a bit as we've started saying next gen 911 2.0 for North Carolina. As we begin to look at, you know, what does that open up for us with this IP network for delivery of call and data? Uh, looking at the video streaming, that's a uh, possibility. What will come for that? Also looking at the true interoperability when you look at next generation 911. True enough, we can send 911 calls from any 911 center to another 911 center. 
but we have to look at the other call data that's generally captured in what's called a computer-aided dispatch system. How do we share that data? We need to look at how we're sharing radio communications, realizing that every jurisdiction does not share the same type of radio system, uh, the same infrastructure for their radios. So how, how do we do that? You know, how do we share uh, radio communications from one end of the state to the other? And then to begin to look at what will the industry itself present as the next part of next generation 911. And I believe that North Carolina is very positioned to move forward as that is presented. Anything that comes from the industry as a way to better serve our citizens, um, you know, on the worst day of their lives, generally, you know, North Carolina wants to be positioned that we can utilize this investment that we have made in our ESINET and our next generation deployment that we can, we can move forward uh, to continue to provide service to our citizens that they so deserve. Well, you know, no one ever wants to have to call 911, but it seems like if you have to in North Carolina, you're going to be in good hands. So thanks for sharing that with us. So that concludes the serious portion of our podcast, but we want to make sure listeners get to know you a little better in a segment that we call the lightning round. We're going to ask you three fun questions about your life outside of work. Are you ready? Oh, let's go. (laughs) Right. Okay. So our friend, North Carolina CIO, Jim Weaver, told us that you're known for taking selfies around North Carolina (laughs) and especially at 911 centers. Can you tell us about that? Well, yes. So the the selfie queen. So how that all came about was I tend to want to just memorialize events and activities in life. And early on when I came to work for the North Carolina 911 board and we would be doing meetings and things, I was constantly, you know, snapping some type of a selfie just so I can memorialize it. And I really didn't realize that folks were paying attention to that until someone said, Puggy, you forgot to take a selfie. And it's like, oh my goodness. So it became a so it became a thing, whether we were visiting 911 centers, holding board meetings, holding other types of meetings. But I think that that's part of the outreach that we look at, you know, when folks feel engaged and involved, and then you can go back and you can post a selfie, including everyone that was there, post a selfie that talks about a particular day or event it adds a bit more to the event or the circumstance. You know, I'm not saying it's, it's all about social media, but I think, you know, folks like to feel engaged and involved and, and I think that does it. But mainly, it's, I just wanted to start memorializing what I was doing through my life. So I love that. Yeah, I, I think it shows people involved that you care, you know, yes. about yes. being there and you care about them and the time yes. that they've taken out of their day to spend with you. And yeah, things like that do matter. Okay. Yes. Question two, in your Twitter profile, you mentioned that you are not only a 911 professional, but a small rural farmer as well. So what do you farm? So, well, my husband and I, we live here in central North Carolina. And uh, as I said, we'd come here to retire. So we, we bought just a small, a small 15 acre farm here. And we do uh, from time to time, we keep cattle on the farm. And actually my husband is headed out today to, to go buy some cows. Uh, but we also have horses and mules and chickens and a dog and a cat. That's awesome. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So finally, um, what is the best piece of advice that you've heard lately? 
Well, in preparing for this, uh, I saw something over this weekend. I thought, what am I going to say about that? And I saw something over this weekend that was that was kind of profound. It says that worry doesn't take away tomorrow's troubles, that it takes away today's peace. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that's a little profound because every day we're hustling and we're worrying and we're hustling and we're worrying. And we, we get some wins during the day, but if we're all consumed about what happened last week or what's happening tomorrow, we don't get to celebrate today's wins. Hmm. So true. Well, Pokey, it was really fun talking with you today and hearing about all the work that you're doing with 911 in North Carolina. And, you know, I know that when you're calling 911, every second feels more like a minute. So being able to, to make that shorter time for people has a big impact overall. So thanks so much for coming on and talking with us. Thank you all for inviting me and and come back again. And we'll talk, talk more about what we're doing here in North Carolina. Sounds great. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to NACIO Voices. NACIO Voices is a production of the National Association of State Chief Information Officers. You can learn more at nacio.org. And for all of you NACIO members out there, our NACIO Annual Conference in Louisville, Kentucky is coming up October 9th through 12th. Registration opens on August 10th, so mark your calendars. Yep, and if you're in Kentucky, that's pronounced Louisville. Right, Alex? <laughs> right. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people like you find our show. We'll be back in two weeks. Talk to you then.